0: Welcome to the OA Light a Candle meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special
1: service active.
0: I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Howard. Power to Compulsive Overeater? I was here once before, I, I think it was in August of um, 2007, and um, it's nice to be back and uh, share my story. I think that it was in um, 1984, I was 30, and before I went to Overeaters Anonymous, and um, my employer said, you know, we're really worried about you because you're really heavy and, you know, clients are complaining and um, you don't look good. But you need to go to the doctor. So I went to the doctor. I was living up north. And um, on the way to the doctor, I said, well, you know, if I weigh 250, which is a lot, I can live with that because I know I won't feel too far gone. And uh, I could, lose, I could lose, lose that much weight. And so I got to the doctor, I got on the scale, I weighed 3.52 and a quarter. And, uh, and so, you know, I'm not the smartest person, but I'm not the dumbest person either. So um, how could I be off 100 pounds? And uh, the question that they really, the, my denial was so strong and um, my refusal to look at myself in the mirror beyond, you know, lower than the neck down, it was incredible. It was incredible, and uh, so I was off 100 pounds, and it was a good thing. You know, the thing is about um, finding out how much you weigh if you're a compulsive overeater. I mean, I in the past, I've done e- anything I could to avoid the scale, but it does give you useful information, and at least it will tell you where you are at that particular moment in time. So I went on a diet, and I lost probably... I, I went, I, In about a year's time, I I lost enough weight. I think I probably weighed about 185. And so, of course, what I thought was, when I'm at a normal weight, I won't have any more problems. You know, all my problems will be resolved. What my problem, why, why I wasn't enjoying my life was because I was, you know, weighing 352. And that was true. My life was bad because I weighed 352, but that's only really a partial answer because the real answer means I was my life was bad because I couldn't cope with my life without compulsive overeating, and that's what caused me to weigh 352. So it's not a good thing to weigh 352, but that wasn't really the reason. That was more of a surface reason, as incredible as that sounds, but because I had I couldn't cope. So I, I lost all the weight, got down to about 185, and stayed there not very long, a little while. And what I found out was is that um, I pretty much, except for having physical recovery, I felt exactly the same as from 352 to 185, because really the only thing that had changed for me was that I was a lot thinner, but I hadn't really changed internally, you know, I hadn't changed. And so... I was still unhappy and um, I gained all that weight back eventually. I came into Overeaters Anonymous in 1986 in Monterey was my first meeting and I didn't like the meeting very much. I didn't really know much about 12-step programs. There was an article at the time in the San Jose Mercury about uh, weight loss programs and Overeaters Anonymous was um, one of the things. that was mentioned in this article. So um, I went to the meeting and really at that at that point in time it hadn't taken a hold of me. And um, so I, I went to that meeting. I moved to uh, San Francisco shortly after and I started the program there. And it came to Los Angeles in 1987 and uh, it took me about three years. Well, actually it was in March of 1989 I started to abstain and Overeaters Anonymous here on the west side where I was living. And um, I went from um, 303 to 170. So I had a good sponsor. And I went through the steps and, and did the things that um, I was supposed to do. But, um, you know, when you get to that launching off point, if you've lost weight and um, and then, you know, really, what is it that I really want to do with my life? Because when you've lost weight, First of all, you find out that your problems are not resolved. And I should have known that. And I think I really did know that. But um, there were no catastrophes. Everything was really going pretty good. And um, But you come to a point where it's like, how much recovery do you really want to have? Is it really just about weight loss and dieting? Or, are you really, or am I really willing to go to the next level of recovery and really start to work on these lifelong issues that I have? And... Um, Working with people, and there's always been plenty of people around who are willing to help. Um, and the question is, do I want to help? You know, I say I want to help, but do I really want to help? You know, I can call somebody, uh, call a sponsor in the morning and say, and he says to me, really, you know, it's a key question. It's not a complicated question, but for me, sometimes it's difficult to answer, and that is, how are you feeling today? And I want to say I'm feeling fine. Because I think that for me, I like to go to any length not to tell somebody how I'm feeling. I don't know why that is, but it just is. And so he says, well, how are you feeling? Well, I'm feeling fine. And how's it going with the food? Well, you know, there's not a problem. And in the meantime, you know, I could be sitting in my car eating bagels, and I'm not supposed to be eating bread. And so pretty soon, you know, you have two problems. You're, well, actually more, you know, you're gaining weight. I'm lying about my food, and I'm telling this guy that everything's great. So here it is. I go from um, 303 to 170. This is like 1990 or 1991. And uh, no catastrophes. Actually, my life is going pretty good. I've got a good job. I'm living in a nice place. I've got some money in the bank. There's no catastrophes, you know, nothing really that bad. Um, But I'm not really, I'm not able to go for whatever reason to the next level. I did an inventory. I did all this stuff. So here I am. And um, my food starts to get... You know, I'm not supposed to eat bread. I'm not supposed to eat white flour and sugar. And I start eating white flour and sugar. And I start lying about it. And pretty soon, you know, there's one thing about being an over anonymous. You can be gaining weight in this program. And sometimes people are not going to say anything to you. Although they're going to be talking about you behind your back.
1: But... There may not
0: be saying anything directly, but, you know, of course, I know what's going on. But then sooner or later, you have to admit reluctantly that, you know, you've been, I've been lying about my food for a while. And I have to say, officially say that I've broken my abstinence. And when that happens, there are certain things, uh, ramifications. The, you know, taking the high road, the recovery road is, well, you know, if I was going to three meetings a week, I better go to six. Um, if I was not calling and telling somebody what I'm eating every day, maybe I, maybe that's a good idea. If I haven't really been honest before, maybe I better try to be a little bit more honest and really just make it, you know, anything worthwhile in your life, you have to, you have to work hard for it. Nothing comes, not, there's recovery costs, you know, there's a price for recovery. So, Or you can go the other way. Well, you know, people know what my history was. They've heard my story. So they expect me to, to gain weight. Or, you know, and, and, and then, you know, and, and so you can go that road. And what happened for me was that this guy who was sponsoring me at the time, he would call me every day, sometimes several times a day. And sometimes I didn't answer the phone. Or, you know, it was kind of like, I didn't say it directly, but I didn't say like, leave me alone. But really, leave me alone and stop calling and stop calling. So you call on Monday two times. You call Tuesday a couple times, Wednesday once, Thursday. And then on Friday, I got what I wanted. The the phone stops ringing. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, thank God, this guy's finally going to leave me alone. But it's really the worst place that you can be. Because now that he's not calling, you've pretty much made it known that you don't want to be bothered. people aren't seeing you anymore, and life goes on. It goes on without with you or without you. If you're gaining weight or not gaining weight, it keep, it continues to go on. So this guy stopped calling me and, uh, and I was relieved because thinking, "Well, now I can eat whatever I want," and telling myself, well i'm going to there's like three or four things I really like to do with food. And I'm going to do this on Monday, and this on Tuesday, and this on Wednesday, and this on Thursday. And I'm going to get it out of my system once and for all. Not remembering, you know, the, the only thing that does is thinking, it sets off this physical craving that I've always had. And let me tell you something. I'm 54 years old. It has not changed for me. Because so when I tell you that when I was, um, have never had a, rela- a normal relationship With white flour or sugar. That's the way it's always been. That has not changed. Never changed. The only thing that's different is it's gotten worse. It's gotten worse. It's never got better. It's always gotten worse. And it's like that guy in the book, you know. He's abstained for, he hasn't drank for many years and he starts drinking and within six months he's dead or I don't know what happens when he lost his business. He's a total mess. But he thought because he had this long, this long period of sobriety, he, he was cured. You know, that, and that's kind of my experience. So this was like 1991 or 1992. And um, I stopped going to very many meetings, thinking that I could control uh, the food on my own and, um, and I would be okay. And, you know, a month uh, stretches into three months, stretches into six months, stretches into a year, two years, five years. And so in July of um, 2000, I came back to Overeaters Anonymous weighing 489. And uh, I can't even tell you guys that that's my worst nightmare because it's like it's beyond my worst nightmare. Because I never thought that I would ever, it wasn't even in my, it wasn't in my frame of reference. I never thought they would be like that. I never was like that, but that's what happened. So, you know, and there were people who I had known before, and here it is, I come back totally humiliated, and mortified, full of shame, just knowing that I can't come back to these meetings because... Um, I have to lose hundred pounds first
1: <laughs> before I come back.
0: Because I'll do anything not to be humiliated. Anything. I mean, I mean, really, I don't like it. I don't. Nobody does. But um, my uh, ego and sense of... Um, anyways, I, it was hard, but I came back. And uh, no one. You know, there's always someone there who will help you. There's always someone there who will help you. And uh I came back and uh no one told me what happened to you, how did you do this to yourself, you know, so on. Of course I always think that people are thinking that because it's really, you know, it is a visual world and people, you know, see and it's 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 shock it's a shocking thing. And so I started to abstain again and I um got down to about one hundred eighty three and not much longer than a year or a year and some months through very, very strict dieting and exercise, maybe like a thousand calories a day, more or less. I didn't count calories, but um, it was very strict. And um, the thing is about food plans, you know, and I like food plans and they do work because if you eat less than you were eating before, you're going to lose weight. Um, It's not complicated. But no matter how great the food plan is, the day will inevitably come where you cannot stay on that food plan. It always comes. That day will come. Because if you haven't done other stuff, um, that's what happens. That's what happened for me. So I had a sponsor this time. Again, somebody different. um, Who I liked and who's still here and always available to help. And... um, for whatever reason, you know, you would think that someone who had been through this agony, that uh, I would know that no matter what, man, I have to be as honest as I can. I have to, I have to go to a meeting all the time. I have to really, really work this thing as, as, hard, as, as hard as I can. And, uh, and I tried, and uh, I went into relance again just before uh, two years, I think. It was in O um, two, some sometime in O two, and what happened? What happened that day? My brother was visiting me from the Midwest, and I was feeling especially sorry for myself this day. He left, and you know, I was alone. I was lonely. I felt bad, and um, you know, I know very well what what you're supposed to do when when that happens, and that is, you know, you're supposed to call somebody. You're supposed to help somebody else. You know, helping somebody else is a great thing. It always works. It takes, you don't think about your problem. You're doing something good for someone else. You feel good about it. You're not thinking about the food. And uh, and I started overeating again uh, on those things, white flour and sugar. And so I went into relapse again. Um, and it was once more, you know, like leave me alone. Don't call me. I don't care. My life is horrible. <laughs> And it hor- it's horrible, it's horrible being like that. And um, I want to add something, too, to say, and that is um, I've lived alone since 1980. And this is 2009, so that's a long time. And they really the, the incredible thing about that is, is that um, no one has ever seen me binge or overeat like that. So that says, you know, I'm somebody who likes to be alone and, you know, and uh, who has trouble with relationships with people. And, um, and that's, that, that's, that's the way that is. So here it is. I go into relapse in 02. I go into relapse again in 02, somewhere in the spring, I think. Yeah, because my brother was here Memorial Weekend. And um, demoralized once again because, um, you know, I think for me, I crossed over that line a long time ago, a long time ago. I mean, when I was a little kid, I crossed over that line. And whether you think it's psychological, genetic, DNA, whatever the hell it is, I don't know. But I have crossed. I don't know if I even was ever on the other side of the line. I may have, may not have been. So um, I went into relapse again in '02, And uh, it took me, um, and I got back over 400 pounds. Um, so can you imagine that from 170 to 489 to 183 to over 400? And here I am again celebrating a birthday today for four years. And I never had four years before. I had two years a long time ago. And so here's what happened. I, I, and I've shared this before, and I know he's not going to mind. It's May um, or April. April of 2005, and um, I'm at that at the. You know, I live in I live in Agora, so um, I'm at the, the OA office in Reseda on a Friday night, sitting way in the back. I don't want to talk to anybody. You know, I don't even want anybody to know that I'm there. But I'm coming back again, and uh, and it's a 7:30. I think it starts at 7:30, maybe the 8:30. Anyway, I'm leaving a little bit early knowing that, you know, because I don't want anybody to say anything. And so I'm leaving the meeting and, you know, thinking, okay, I made a clean getaway out of this meeting without anybody <laughs> talking to me. And all of a sudden there's a voice. Hey, Howard, what's going on? And Walter's there, who's a, been a friend, who's a, who's a friend uh, today, who, by the way, who I had asked him to sponsor me before that time and who I never called
1: <laughs> and he called me.
0: You know, the great thing about that is when you're supposed to call somebody and, man, I, and, and I'm feeling lucky that I get the answering machine, you know, or voicemail because I don't want to talk to them and I can just, whatever. So he says, hey, what's going on? I haven't seen you for a while. How are you? And uh, so I was pretty much trapped at that point. I had to talk to him. I couldn't be rude after all, right? So I talked to him. He says, "Well, oh, you know, we're having this men's retreat in April of 2005, and you should go." And um, I didn't want to go to a men's. I didn't want to go to a tre- retreat. But I went, and I didn't stay at that retreat center, which, by the way, is pretty much a dump anyway. And, uh, I don't think I'm. It's exa- a great grounds, but you know, the facility. It's not like staying at the Four Seasons or something like that. But I went to the retreat. And I should—I'd like to say that that's where it all started. You know, I had all these absent meals and it was terrific. But um, what I
1: did—I got up there
0: Friday night and I went to the Chumash Casino up in uh, up there, and you know, I went to the buffet and that's what I was doing.
1: So, um,
0: but despite all that, despite staying at a hotel, not at that, re- not at, not there. It did get me back into circulation, so it was a good thing that I that I went and I, I went, and shortly thereafter, on May 9th of 2005, I started to abstain again. And you know, don't ask me how I was able to. I mean, psychically, but I was but I was able to do it. And uh, what I did what what I did was, I knew from past experience. That no matter what I thought of, you know, O.A. how, whether it was good or bad or whatever, you can always go there and get a food sponsor no matter what. They're always available to do that. So I went there on a Sunday morning and I got a food sponsor. And I still call this guy uh, four years later. And, I, you know, I really haven't lied very much, just
1: a little (laughs) bit here and there.
0: But um, it's hard being completely honest about my food, you know. It is. But um, I've been calling this guy and uh, I started to abstain again and um, lost that weight and been maintaining this weight more or less for, you know, a while now, maybe like three years, you know, more or less. And um, and so it was hard to come back again after all that stuff. But I did it because, you know, what's the alternative? I could stay home and be miserable I went for a I went for a consult at Cedar Sinai for the gastric bypass, and you know, if someone wants to do that. It's not my business, but I just knew that I had one more recovery. I don't know if I knew it. I was hoping that I had one more recovery um, left, and that I could do it. You know, and after all, my father, who was a compulsive reader and very heavy, dropped dead, died in his sleep at age 51, and so. Um, you know, I, I knew I had to do something. So I came back, and uh, Walter helped me, and other people helped me.
1: And so, I
0: started to abstain again. And you know, I want to tell you, this time around has been the best it's ever been, um, by far. Twice as long as I ever made it before. And, um, but in some ways, also the hardest that it's ever been. And I say that because, when, when you when you're able to get to a, a you know a normal body weight, you could I could I could no longer say that um, I could not be um, be in a relationship because I was too fat. I could no longer say I'm not um, making enough money because I was too fat. I could no longer say that. Um, I'm not advancing in my career the way I want to advance in my career because I'm too fat. I could never say I can't work more hours than um, than I was physically capable. I can't say that stuff anymore. Well, I could, but really, realistically, all the excuses are gone. There are no excuses. And just to be at a normal weight is not a pass to any any guarantee of success or the world life going my way. You know, I say, well I want to be the change in myself that I want to see in the world, but you know, I have to work for that change. I can it just doesn't happen automatically because I've lost weight. And I know this. I know this because I had this experience that even before Over Years Anonymous in nineteen eighty four when I lost all that weight and felt the same. If I thought that I was gonna be able to lose weight this go around and and um, and things would be different, I was really fooling myself. Because that's not the way it was going to be. So it's like the best of times, and it's also the hardest of times. Because excuses are gone. And if I say, do I want to make more money or whatever the case is, I mean, you know, I have to work for that stuff, and there are no excuses. And that's when really the program of, um, I, I think, my experiences of Overeaters Anonymous. It's a program of living. It's not just a weight loss program. And that's what, and that's really when the hardest work um, comes in, because you know it's living in a, in a normal-sized body and um, and doing the things I say that I want, but do I really want to? And that's really what the what the what the key is. And it's been difficult, but but in many ways great. What I do today is you know I have a sponsor, I have I have two sponsors, a food sponsor and a step sponsor. I've had, to, I've had to change or make changes, incremental changes. Sometimes it's one step forward and two steps back, or two steps forward and one step back. You know, resentments, um, dishonesty, and I still have trouble. I mean, I would think sometimes if, if no one ever asked me again the rest of my life how I'm feeling, I would not be disappointed.
1: <laughs> but um,
0: it's hard living that. That's a hard way to live. It's a hard. It's a hard way to live when you're compulsively overeating. It's a hard way to live when you're not having any relationships with people. It's a hard way. really. It's a hard way to go because I think that um, people are made to a greater or lesser extent to be together, you know, and enjoy enjoy each, other, each other's company and you know, be part of a group. And you know, I tried working this program alone, even though I had sponsors. I try. I still tried to work it alone because I wasn't honest about it. So I was really working it alone. It can be when someone asks you how you're doing, if you don't answer or say okay, I mean, sometimes there's like deliberate misrepresentations of people, or a misrepresentation because it's an omission. You know, when you don't tell somebody, you know you should be telling them, something you should be telling them. So, what's happened is is that um, part of the recovery for me is being something or acknowledge something greater than me. And um, no longer being on the fence with um, Overeaters Anonymous, because for many years I've struggled. You know, would you would think it sounds like the craziest thing for me to ever question that I'm a compulsive overeater?
1: <laughs>
0: I mean, it's ridiculous thinking that I'm never going to want to overeat again, because when I tell you what, when I was at a normal weight, I thought I would never overeat again. And when I was um, in relapse, I thought I would never be able to abstain again. Mm. And neither, and, and neither situation proved to be true. But I've had to, um, I've had to begin the process of changing. And uh, I'll give you some examples. Being in a relationship, um, when someone asked me, um, you know, how much did you weigh before? <laughs> I mean, I didn't want to answer that question. Because the shame and the guilt is so strong to say. And, you know, I say, well, you know, compulsive overeating is a disease. And, um, and I believe it is for you. But, you know, for me, it's a failure of willpower.
1: And um, so
0: to have to admit that is very shameful. Um, but I did and some other things or show someone, you know, pictures. Um, it's, tough, it's tough stuff or to, to say, you know, who I really am and what I'm about and what my history is. And, you know, doing that kind of stuff, it's risky because then somebody could say, you know, you're, you know, okay, but, you know, you're not for me. And, um, it's a risk, you know, and the definition of a risk is you, it may not turn out the way you want it to turn out. That's a risk. It's not a sure thing. It, could, it may not go the way you want it to go. But nevertheless, if it's a risk worth taking, you've got to take it and see what happens. Because ultimately, you're not in control anyway. So you've got to take a risk. I'm not talking about being reckless. I'm talking about taking a risk. So you take that risk. And hopefully it's going to turn out in a, in a, in a good way, but it may not. Um, so you, you do that stuff. I, have to ma- I make a decision that um, I'm not going to be paralyzed by fear. And um, being paralyzed by fear where being so afraid of doing anything is a hard way to be. And, I've, um, and that happens to me. That happens to me. I get anxiety and fear and I'm afraid I'm gonna mess up. I mean I've been in, I've been I've worked hours on projects and I've been in the line at the post office or and thinking that I didn't do something right and leaving the post office and going back to my office and opening up the package and changing one word. Mm-hmm. I mean that's ridiculous. The fear the fear of failure. Mm-hmm. And it's you know it and it's it feels uh, real, but it's it's not real objectively, but it feels it feels real and it's overwhelming. and so that's something I have to do and even today i I've got fear, work fears, and I wrote down and it's it's like, listen, God, I'm so afraid of I'm so afraid of this and I'm so afraid of that, and I'm so afraid of this, these things, and I need some help. And it's as simple as that, and then maybe meditating for five minutes and feeling better. The fear is not quite so overwhelming. And so these are the things that, you know, that I have to do, that I have to do. And, you know, it's a a process. It's a process of getting better. Not perfect, but getting better. I think that I heard a long time ago, well, actually, I didn't hear a long time, but I felt I am a worst-case scenario thinker. If it's raining, it's pouring. You know, if I, uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't think like, <laughs> it's not for me like the, cla- the, the glass is um, half full. The glass is always empty, you know. That's like my default position. I'm a worst case scenario thinker. Even though I've never had a catastrophe. I never have had a catastrophe. Certainly, I've never missed a meal, I can tell you that. (laughs) I've never had a catastrophe, but I'm a worst-case scenario thinker. And I think that, oh my God, if I would have started abstaining when I went to my first Overeaters Anonymous meeting in in February of 1986 in Monterey, California, my life would be a thousand times better than it is. Because, after all, opportunity only knocks one time, and that's it. So here's the recovery part. Now, I still think like that sometimes, but the recovery part is this. And this is what I strive to think, and sometimes I do, or strive to feel, is that no, opportunity does not knock only one time. That opportunity for physical, emotional, and, and spiritual recovery happens every single day. Right now, it's happening. I mean, why did I have to go through so much pain? I don't know. It just happened, but now here I am sharing the story in May 2009 in this room. Yeah. So it did serve some purpose. Um, certainly not anything I was happy to experience, but um, so there is something. In other words, what what positive thing can I get out of ev- anything that's happened to me? What is there? A, what is the positive side? Why am I going through this pain? Is there some something to be learned from it? Is there um, what is? What can this experience show me? And so, with this, with opportunity, not 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 just once, not just from twenty years ago, but every single day, you know, it gives me hope that I can do better today, that I can feel better today, that I can take advantage of the opportunities for me today, you know, that I can help somebody else today, that I can make my life a little bit better today, because the past is gone and the future hasn't happened yet, but maybe I can prepare myself, you know, for the future and have a better life, because after all, at the end of the day, that's what it's about anyway, right, to try to enjoy enjoy your life. And so, I'll close with this. I think that... Um, I've never been an atheist, but really, that the but not really, really a strong believer. Worst-case scenario thinker. But the greatest, um, the greatest thing, uh, and I think that people who have a strong connection is some connection to a um, a power greater than yourself, whatever it is that you call it. Um, And it's really something that from the beginning of time, you know, when people first walked on the earth, thousands or millions of years ago that people have always done and um, I think it's true that you know people of faith seem to be happier. Mm-hmm. people who are part of a community who have faith in some power greater than than themselves who um, believe that you know whatever difficulties they're getting through today it's going to get better. Um, that if you're, if you're in relapse, if I'm in relapse I can't abstain again, that I don't have to be miserable. I mean, because I have to say to myself, you know, I don't really trust happiness. I like being miserable. Mm-hmm. It's not that I like being miserable, I'm used to being miserable. You know, it's familiar. And, uh, and that, that can change, but it takes time to change. Anyway, um, thanks, uh, Walter, for asking me to um, share. That's
1: about the time. Right? Oh, okay. Yeah. I have a question. What would you say to anybody out there right now, still um, in relapse
0: or in a bad way? The question is, uh, what would I tell to anyone still in relapse or in a bad way? I mean, um, you know, first of all, some people you can you can help you can try to help, but you can't always help. So um, to make your best effort to help somebody is important, whether or not it's going to be successful or not. I don't know. I would say, you know, that. Um, <laughs> I, here's what I would say. I would say that, you know, you're really feeling bad right now and, that, uh, and I understand that. And, um, but also know that it can get If you think it can't get any worse, it can get worse. <laughs> if you think you're at the lowest point, you can go lower. And that's a fact. But at the same time, you can get better. So No matter what you have done or haven't done, um, you can start to abstain right now. You don't need to wait till tomorrow you can do it right now. There's always hope. I mean, really, it's part of the human condition to have hope. If someone doesn't have hope, hope is the most important thing. you got to have hope that some way, somehow, your life is going to get better a little bit, and it'll get a little bit better. Today, um, the next day, and it builds on itself. It's like losing weight. You know, you might lose five pounds or whatever the hell, whatever the case is, eventually it'll get better. So you got, you know, keeping that hope, keeping the hope alive. And, And come back no matter what. And just say, fuck it, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm going to come back. I'm here with me. No one's going to throw you out. No one ever told me you can't come. And I would say, you know, there's recovery here. There are are people willing to help you. There are people willing to help you. If you want, you know, if you're willing to accept help. Accepting help is a whole different thing. You know, I could talk for a long time about accepting help because um, I don't like to accept help. Because when you accept help, then you have to... if you accept help, you have, to, you have to admit that you're vulnerable. To accept help, you have to admit that you're part of this group. To accept help, you have to be part of a community. To accept help, you have to give something back. You have to share of yourself. You can't sit there you know, off in a corner and not say anything and leave early. You've got to be part of it. And so making that leap of faith to accept help is a difficult thing, but ultimately so much more rewarding than just sitting there by yourself in, in misery. Yeah.
1: At your darkest hour, what made everything change to come back
0: each time? So the question is, um, in my darkest hour, what made everything, any, everything change to come back? What happened to, make- what happened to, to come back? I, you know, there wasn't really just one thing. I mean, I can tell you that that second time around, from like nineteen ninety one to two thousand, um, I mean, I was I was having, uh, well, I lost a job because I fell asleep um, with a client. That was not. And you know what? I, here's what? I was I was in the, I was having a meeting with this client. See, I had sleep at I had sleep apnea, and uh, but I couldn't wear the mask. So I couldn't sleep. So I'd go to work, and I would sleep at work.
1: And they didn't like that. But
0: what happened was, I was having a conversation with a client. And after it was over, the office manager came to me and said, you know, the boss wants to talk to you. You fell asleep. And I did not know I had fallen asleep. And I got fired that day. Um, But uh, to answer your question, I still kept on overeating after that. I think it was just a point of just being so miserable and so demoralized, I had to say, well, for, well actually what I did was I went to Lindora in 2000, and I went from probably eating 10 or 15,000 calories a day to eating 500 calories a day
1: uh.
0: with phantomine and, and, you know, stuff like that. That's what I had to do. But I don't know why I was able to do it at that particular point, just other, other than just being, like, to, so totally miserable. Anybody else?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious. I suffer from night eating. Um I'm an electrician meeting next to that's on my bottom line, but I was wondering if you ever had any experience with like eating at night and if you did what did you do to, to help yourself? Uh,
0: the question is, did I ever have experience with night eating and what did I do uh, to help myself? Um, I uh I um I've had some <laughs> experience with my idea. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: um,
0: and uh it was not the my biggest it was a problem, but not the biggest problem. Um what did I do? I not not any one specific not any one specific thing. But you know, I tell you what, about you know, I, there used to be a meeting in West Hollywood, I don't know if it's still there, this bulimic anorexic meeting and um I digress a little. Um, I would go to this meeting. Beautiful women at this meeting, not overweight, and um, and that was part of the reason I would go. But I what it taught me was that you. I would listen to beautiful women, or any woman, or any person really. It doesn't matter, and they would talk about not being happy even though they look great, and so that told me if I didn't already know it, that it's not really just about physical recovery. That, you know, what you're feeling inside, despite the fact that you look great, that it goes, man, this recovery thing is really a a lot more than that. It's a lot more than that. And and that's been my own experience,
1: too. Is that it? Oh, okay. Thank you.